This is the word of the Lord, found in Joshua chapter 6, verses 15, 16, and 20. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. This is the word of the Lord. For those of you who were brave enough to come out again uh, with this visiting leader of worship, uh, I thank God for your courage and your grace. Uh, and let us dive, if you would, right into the biblical text. There are a variety of ways to interpret this biblical narrative. But I want to invite us this morning to take it in its simplest form and to understand this narrative as it's presented in the text. And here we see Israel arrive after a 40-year journey before the formidable walls of Jericho. But you and I, being the good uh, Sunday school students we are, we know that the walls are going to fall down. The walls will not fall because of the weapons the people carry, nor because of the strength of the men in battle. It will not be the battle strategy that wins the day, nor the intelligence or wisdom of Joshua that allows the children of God to prevail. Instead, the text offers us a different suggestion. It begins to imply to the modern reader that God is present at this moment in such a way that God's presence has a demonstrative effect on the very obstacle that stands before Israel and God's promise to the people. And interestingly, the only agency we see on behalf of the people is their willingness to publicly lift their voice up as one. And I wonder if the text might be inviting you and I, again, the modern reader, to consider this a statement on the power of worship. Now, I know what you must be thinking. How can this passage make any comment on the potential and power of worship? How can it offer us any lessons on better understanding how worship might impact our lives after all? What's happening in this text is not happening in a traditional place of worship. Rather, they're gathered on the battlefield. There is no sanctuary, no pulpit, no choir, no organist. Uh, but maybe the text is, again, inviting you and I to make a careful and critical consideration about what we know about worship. 
Listen, let's take our current gathering here as an example. We are sitting in the midst of a, a magnificent worship facility. The beauty and functionality of this church is impressive. It stands as a testimony to what God can do through people surrendered and submitted unto God. But I want to caution us not to make the uh, limiting mistake to believe that somehow the concept of worship is defined by the geography in which we exist or the spatial particularities of this place or the architectural majesty of this particular facility as though those are the necessary elements of worship. Because what we experience in this place is not limited to this place. Uh, and there are some of us who have learned over the course of our journey with God that we don't even have to be at church in order for us to have worship. But wherever the Spirit of God shows up in our lives, it can provide us, just as it may be doing in this moment of the text, with an opportunity of and for worship. Okay, I, I, I feel a few of you still pulling back and wondering, uh, how can this at all be related to worship? After all, they're getting ready to enter into battle. They're getting ready to face their first enemy on the border of the land that God has promised them. They are getting ready to walk into warfare. How can you talk about this text in the context of worship? Well, you're, you're asking all of the right questions this morning. Y'all are on theological fire. Keep it up. Listen. <laughs> The priests began to blow their horns and the people began to shout. And their shout was not the inarticulate proclamations of the fearful or the angry. No, this is worship on the battlefield. For the reality is it reflects a truth that's deeply woven into the life of the church. Some of the best worship you will ever experience happens on the battlefield. Maybe the text is suggesting to us that our worship of our Savior is not contingent upon our physical location or our emotional condition or the circumstances of life. No, not even the constancy of conflicts that we may confront. But some of us have learned that no matter where we are in life, there is always an opportunity to worship. I know there are a couple of you sitting on the pews who may be quiet at this moment, but you've got a testimony bubbling within you because you've learned your circumstances does not dictate your moment of worshiping a God that has been good to you. And in fact, some of your best worship has happened as tears have streaked down your cheeks. Some of your best worship has happened as your knees begin to buckle under the weight of life. Some of your best worship has happened in your darkest moments. No, you can engage in worship anywhere you find yourself. Let, let me offer this to some who may still be resistant this moment of an element of truth that life has taught many of the believers around you. Listen, if the only time you worship God is when your friends are surrounding you, 
The only time you worship is because you're celebrating the job you possess or the successes that you've experienced. If the only time you open up your mouth and begin to give thanks unto God is when material blessings come your way. If praise only utters and issues forth from your lips when you shout after your blessing or because life is good or as you stand in the sunshine of life, if you only get excited about God when everything is going well, you have missed a crucial lesson that every believer has to embrace. And that is that my worship happens before my battles are done. My worship happens before victory shows up. In fact, I don't just worship after difficulty. I worship as I enter into difficulty because worship is a pre-difficulty uh, moment in our lives so that we don't have to wait until the difficulties have subsided. We can worship wherever we find ourselves. Let me just offer to you as I go to take my seat, and you should know as a Baptist preacher, we normally take our seats about three times through the course of a sermon. So for the first time, as I get ready to take my seat, listen, public worship is always preceded by private relationship. I find it interesting as I read this text that God seems to not be a very good manager of warfare. He comes up with a plan for Israel that doesn't seem to make sense. He tells them, walk around the city once for six days, uh, and then on the seventh day, march seven times around the city. It is uh, mind-boggling to me that God thought that this was going to be an effective way to overcome these walls. Nonetheless, this is the plan that God offers. And I believe one of the elements that can be gleaned from this text is that there is something powerful about the six days of silence. The opportunity to just reflect not only on the difficulty before Israel, but the possibilities of what God can do in that moment. And it is those moments of silence that is the prerequisite for the day of celebration and the moment of lifting up their voice. What uh, am I trying to say is that you can't engage in public worship where there's not private relationship. Private sitting with God and meditating on the goodness of God in your life and the word of God and all that God has done for you. Uh, it is what allows us to have power even in public worship. Because if you spend any time thinking about God, you can't help but begin to thank God. If you begin to consider what God has done in your life, I promise you it will ultimately bubble up in your spirit. Secondly, first thing is that it, public worship requires private relationship. Second element is that private predicaments are often the power behind public worship. See, some people believe that the only reason that one worships is because they feel free from the challenges of life, that the burdens have subsided, but nothing could be further from the truth. The reality is, it is the predicaments that you face in life that give you the power to engage in worship as you begin to consider where you are and what you need from God. And how God can steady your hand and encourage your heart even in the midst of challenge, that's what allows you to give birth to a thanksgiving unto God. Worship does not require you to ignore, hide, or refuse to acknowledge the very real conditions that you may confront. Worship is not the refuge of hopeless dreamers. Worship is what allows you to draw strength from the very conditions that you confront and to give voice to those moments in worship. 
It is the reality of what we live through that gives power to these moments of worship. It is the private relationship that bubbles over in public worship. And and finally, my brothers and sisters, you must acknowledge that anytime you worship, particularly publicly, it is always peculiar. Uh, look at the story that we have before us. The, uh, uh, the people have marched around the city for six days. They are now uh, screaming and hollering before the walls on the seventh day. You've got to believe that the people living in Jericho are looking on this with amusement. Surely you don't think our walls are going to fall just because you're out here hollering in the midst of our city. I mean, the first day it may have been some apprehension on Jericho's part, but after the fifth or the fourth day, uh, they're probably making great fun of what Israel is engaged in because what they're doing seems so peculiar. But the reality is, is that that's the nature of public worship. It always looks crazy to folk who are looking on from the outside. And so it suggests to us that those individuals who will really be worshipers uh, must overcome uh, the trepidation of public ridicule. Listen, if you're not willing to risk a little ridicule, if you're not willing to risk the possibility that people may not understand why you're giving God worship with your life and your words, if you're not willing to stand as the odd man or woman out, if you need the affirmation of others to determine your worship, if you're waiting for someone else to lift up their voice and say how good God has been, you can't face the crowd and trust God anyhow and worship God for God's goodness in your life. You'll never really get to be a worshiper. But let me suggest to you that you embrace the words of David who said, I will bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. I will bless his holy name. And then David begins to reflect on why. Because I can't forget all of God's benefits. Uh, he forgave my iniquities. He healed my diseases. He redeemed my life from destruction. He crowned me with loving kindness and tender mercy. David is going through the list of things that have happened in David's life. And from that, he lifts up his voice in worship. In uh, the churches that I've pastored, we sung a song that says, why do I worship? Because God has been on my side. He kept my enemies away. He let the sun shine through a cloudy day. He wrapped me in the cradle of his arms when he knew I had been battered by the storm. It is because of what God has done for us that gives us these moments of worship. You don't have to take my word for it. The biblical text will affirm this as well. Just look at Paul and Silas at the midnight hour when it, the life was at its darkest moment. And yet the text tells us that they began to sing and pray. And because of their worship, the walls of the jail began to shake. Don't just look at Paul and Silas. How about the three Hebrew boys who refused to bow down in the midst of public pressure? They stood there as a testimony to the goodness of God, and you saw what happened from there. How about old Job, who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, and he used his life to engage in a moment of worship and celebration of the God that was on his side, and dare I mention Daniel in the lion's den, who had enough faith that he was willing to engage in a public act of worship by praying at his window, because Daniel knew what all of us should know, by now, I don't need God to deliver me from the lion's den when God can just shut the lion's mouth. And why not give that kind of God my ultimate worship and praise? 
Listen, I, I have exceeded my time here. Uh, again, as I take my seat, uh, let me simply say that what is most powerful in this text is the reality that it is not the leaders that lift their voice up on the seventh day. It's not just the singers who lift their voice, not just the infantry that lifts their voice. It tells us that all the people open up their mouths and begin to give God worship on that battlefield. And I wonder uh, how many of us have arrived this morning, not simply uh, because we have something worthy of giving God glory and praise about, but because we wanted to be someplace where there were men and women who believed like we believed, that we wanted to be sitting in a congregation where there were one or two folk who would say, listen, you're not by yourself. God's been good to me as well as I've stood by hospital beds or gotten doctor's reports or navigated conflicting issues at my child's school or wondered about the possibilities in my place of employment. In those moments, God has been present. And so I can stand with you on today and acknowledge that God has been good to me too. Every once in a while, we want to be in the midst of those who believe like we believe and love the Lord like we love the Lord, and are willing to worship God with all that we have. May God set the fire of worship in your lives, and may you give full breath to the fullness of a God who is too great to be held on our interior, but also welcomes us into these moments of public celebration. May God be with each and every one of us here. Amen.